Welcome to Growth Over Easy, the podcast where we explore the depths of life with an optimistic lens. I'm your host, Lily Rachels, and I believe pain has the potential to produce more growth than happiness ever could. I teach you how to grow through grief and give you actionable tools you can start using today. It's time to choose growth over the easy path in life. Let's grow together. Welcome back to Growth Over Easy. My guest today is Heidi Gruss. Heidi is a licensed psychotherapist and transformation strategist who specializes in working with burnout entrepreneurs seeking a change in their lives. She has over two decades of clinical and administrative experience in both private and corporate behavioral health settings. Today, we are going to unpack what Heidi calls the emotional trash can. Let's go. Welcome, Heidi. Thank you so much, Lily. I'm so glad you could come on today and tell the audience about the emotional trash can. When you and I first spoke and you told me about this, I found it extremely helpful. So without further ado, what would you say is the definition of the emotional trash can? Yeah, so where this concept came from, right, is I use the analogy to the kitchen trash can. And, you know, I'm an international coach. So I've literally talked to clients, you know, across the world, and they all resonate with this analogy. So the kitchen trash can tends to be that central trash can in a house, right? So it's the one where when, you know, the bathroom or the bedroom, the smaller garbage cans needs to be emptied, we bring them down, and we put it in that kitchen trash can, right? Well, there's something universally that we all do to that trash can as it starts to fill up before we take the bag out. There's something that every single one of us admits to doing. And so do you want to guess what that is? Although I think you all <laughs> We shove it down so that we can yeah. fit more trash in the bag. Right. And I laugh with my clients and I acknowledge like, yes, I do the same thing. I Mm -hmm. stick my hand in that trash can to like make more room um, so we can get like the most value out of that five cent plastic bag. Right. And I'll even bring that trash can over to my fridge and I'm like looking for, you know, any food that needs to go, you know, and I'm throwing that in there too, to the point where when we finally take that bag out of the barrel, it's overflowing. You know, it's sometimes it rips, it might be leaking. Oh yeah. It's stuck in there. It's hard to get out. Exactly. Right. Everybody resonates with this. They're like, yes, yes, yes. Well, that actually is how I see people treat their emotional trash can. So Mm. metaphorically, we have this, you know, emotional trash can as I'm kind of like emotioning to like the chest area, because that's where I I always go there as like the heart representing emotion. Um, that's where we hold, you know, our emotional trash can. And what we do is when life happens and there's a challenge or a circumstance, some type of adversity, trauma, we take a piece of that, right? And and we compartmentalize. We're like, okay, mm-hmm. feels really overwhelming. So I'm going to deal with this one piece. I'm going to put the rest aside in the emotional trash can, even with the intention of getting back around to it at some point, Yet when we're done dealing with that little piece of the pie that we took, typically we're so emotionally depleted that we just need a breather and we sit back and we go, okay, I need to recover here after what I just dealt with, right? And 
Then when we're finally feeling good, the last thing we're thinking of doing is going back into that emotional trash can to pull up more of that turmoil, Mm -hmm. more of that pain, more of that fear or overwhelm, right? It's like, you know what? I'm doing okay. You know, maybe I don't need to go back and resolve that stuff, but life keeps happening and we keep doing that. And over time, all of that emotional trash, it's, it tends to be the, the overwhelming stuff that we're putting aside. Well, it starts to leak out too. And it leaks out in a lot of different ways. You know, you might notice you're becoming more irritable or you're losing your focus and concentration, or, you know, you might notice in your daily lifestyle, you know, your sleep becomes impaired or, you know, your relationships are starting to suffer or you're not showing up to work with the same level of investment or enthusiasm, you know? Yeah, no, I love that analogy. And I was just, as you're talking, thinking about my personal life. And in the past, I think I would empty parts of that emotional trash can in the form of reading a self-help book or listening to something, or maybe even going to a therapy session where I got just enough help that I felt a little bit better, but I wasn't dealing with all of the trash in there. Just a little piece to where it was like, oh, okay, there's now more room to pack more in. Pack more in, Lily. That that was fantastic the way you said that, because that's exactly it. It's like we release a little bit only to make room to put more in there. And we're, we're never really unloading everything, right? And so that's how I introduce you know, the interventions really needing to be seen as a process, not an event, right? So you mentioned like reading the self-help book, event. I read the book. I feel a little bit better. That's over with, but nothing in the day-to-day lifestyle really changes. So what do you say to the person who's listening to this? They're like, I could recognize that I probably have a pretty full can right now. What would you say is the first step? Well, the first step is the admission, right? Mm. It's, just, it's admitting like, yeah, I identify with this. I know that I'm carrying around. I can feel the weight on my chest. I can feel the burden on my back. I need to do something about it and really committing to that. And, you know, the next step is finding that coach, that mentor, that therapist. It depends on, you know, what this emotional trash can is really comprised of. Obviously, if it is something traumatic, you want to find a therapist, right? Yes, absolutely. If this is the the day-to-day, you know, just not knowing how to use proper boundaries and limits, you know, to manage and problem solve through, you know, just life stress you know, a coach, a mentor. Um, Sometimes we luck out and we get fantastic supervisors that really make an investment in us. And the reason why I'm saying is you need that second person is I can, I can guarantee without having that other person, you're not going to be able to see everything with full objectivity right? Because most times when we're filling up that emotional trash can, it's through a pattern, through a default behavior that we've been doing our entire lives. And sometimes we don't even realize how we're picking up pain and adversity that doesn't even belong to us, but we do it because we identify as being a peacekeeper or a people pleaser, right? And it's really hard to see those things without the assistance of someone else to really shine the light on those negative behavior patterns. And that that's really what I pride myself on. Yeah. Someone that's not tied to the emotion and the stuff in the trash can like you are that can be there to support you and at times lead you through this. I think that's, I'm a big proponent of a coach, a therapist. We talked last time or when we spoke before the podcast, 
we kind of talked about, again, the difference between maybe I need more of a therapist approach, maybe more of a coach approach. And you mentioned it a little bit, but could you guys deeper into that? Yeah, you know, I think here's the basic difference, right? Or the most obvious difference is anyone who's really feeling like they're debilitated by a mental health problem, right? So when you're you're thinking about clinical depression, um, clinical anxiety, a generalized anxiety disorder, something that's going to be diagnosed, you need to have a clinician. You need to have someone with that clinical background, right? When you're dealing with a circumstance, a life circumstance that's just a challenge to get through, doesn't necessarily qualify for a clinical diagnosis, but it's really pushing on limiting beliefs. It's pushing on your role or identity. It's pushing on um, ways you're feeling challenged in a relationship, um, really pushing on values, you know, non-negotiables, you know, things that you hold in your life. That is something specific, you know, that, that a coach or a mentor can really help you with. And, you know, if you're, if you're in doubt, you know, you can always find someone like myself who's got the back, who's got both backgrounds, right? I have a clinical license where I'm, you know, acknowledged as a, a licensed psychotherapist. And then I've got a professional coaching background as well. What I have found, and that's really where the transformation methodology coaching program came from, was that so many people were seeking me out for help, but they didn't qualify for that clinical diagnosis, mm. right? And so it doesn't mean that their distress doesn't warrant some intervention. It just means it would be unethical to slap a diagnosis on someone and, and get help from a therapist. So I looked at a lot of the common themes and patterns that people were presenting with, and I found a way to address it in a really um, structured step-by-step methodology. Yeah. I love that. And I, I like you differentiating between the two because I hear a lot of people like, just go to therapy, go to therapy, go to therapy. And sometimes, yes, like therapy is, what need, is what's needed, but there are other avenues if you don't meet that clinical diagnosable criteria. Right. So when you're working with clients and you bring up this emotional trash can and you're kind of walking them through it, what would you say is kind of the part they get either stuck in the most or have the hardest time with? You know, let me, let me say this, Lily. I really believe change is not linear. Right. And so we have to accept that. And so I think, you know, at various points, I think of like feedback loops as kind of a visual for, you know, for your listeners. We may circle back a few times. For instance, one of the first things I explore with clients is defining their quicksand. Right. So when you think about quicksand in life, it's it's that circumstance that's really pulling them down. Right. And when you're in quicksand, the more you try to move around to get out, often the deeper you sink. And so we define that quicksand lifestyle by the chaos, the dysfunction, the patterns, the lifestyle choices that are actually working against the ultimate goal of what it is you want to have. And sometimes that includes, you know, having to label identities or roles or hats that a person may wear. It might be those masks that, you know, caretaker, pleaser, peacekeeper, uh, victim, right? Identities that we wear. 
it also might include who we're spending our time with, you know, what type of media we're fulfilling, you know, is we're um, kind of saturating our mind with, right? Like all of those things that really have a massive influence on us. And yet we can't really see the difference until we create some space and physical distance between self and those influences. So we spend some time talking about that quicksand, right? And then often it's very common, you know, further into the program that we're revisiting quicksand because we didn't realize at first, my clients didn't realize all of the factors contributing to that quicksand lifestyle. But once they've gotten some distance and they're able to see things more objectively, then it's like, holy moly, I'm seeing things in a completely different way. I could see that, especially using just an example of maybe putting on that mindset of being a victim. And if you're looking at all your trash through the mindset that I'm a victim and all these things are happening to me, and then you're able to step out of that when you look back on whether it's experiences or whatever's in there for you, it definitely changes the perspective. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things I find to be like so eye-opening, right? I'll give you an example. I was working with a client she really couldn't see the victim identity. It was very obvious to me. And I don't mean victim as necessarily meaning trauma survivor, victim, right? I just mean, um, here's an example. She presented this dynamic from the workplace to me. Um, She was a high-level executive and really um, having a tough time not understanding why she wasn't seen as an approachable leader among her team, right? And therefore it was affecting her credibility. There was imposter syndrome, all of that, right? And she said, you know, and this woman, she just kept questioning me. (laughs) Excuse me. And I said to her, was she questioning you or was she asking you a question? Mm. Right? It was just one simple question. And it really allowed her to see something very differently. She was, well, she was asking me questions. Said, okay, but there's a difference here the way you said that, what is implied about she's questioning me, right? It's like you can all of a sudden see how her interpretation of that person's behavior then triggered that defensive response. The defensive Mm -hmm. response was completely sabotaging her approachability, which is what she was trying to convey, but she couldn't because she was in a defensive posture, That little bit of knowledge, I think of either mine or friends' romantic relationships, the part about questions, I'm like, how often have I know I personally felt that way or seen others feel that way is the you're questioning me versus asking me a question and being able to, again, step out of that like one way of looking at things, I think is huge for people. Exactly. And really, I mean, that is, I find that is my sweet spot, right? And because I have so many clients who say like, I never even thought to think of it in that way, right? And that's why I say to all of your listeners, you need that person to point that out because her um, like monologue to me, telling me the story, she was like, she kept questioning me. It was, there was no question in the client's mind of what she was saying. And it just came out as if, she, you know, this, this was a, a, a very common experience for her. And I want to even go a little further to say when you say you need that person of support, you know, be it a therapist, a coach, a mentor in some way, I think is 
more valuable. Like we all need friends, but sometimes your friends just confirm your biases because they're on your side. They're supporting you. So they're really not the best to look at something holistically in your life. We need a diversity of supports. I mean, you're absolutely right. We all need the cheerleaders, right? Mm -hmm. We want the people in our life who are rooting for us who are saying, yay, rah, rah, like you go, you know? But we also need the person who's willing to say the things that the other people in your life are unwilling to say. Yeah. And it can be as a friend, like it's a lot of the times you you can't do that because you want to preserve a friendship and not risk hurting someone. But when you have a coach, in my experience, when I've worked with either a coach or a therapist, it is that raw honesty that I valued the most. You know, it's, it's complete vulnerability. That's, you know, and, and I mean, the coach is first modeling that for you, or they should be, that is my belief, right? To be vulnerable with my clients means I have to say the hard things sometimes. Now they're packaged in a big, warm hug, of course, Mm -hmm. because there's constant reminders of where it is we're trying to go. Right. So it's like you're you're getting this feedback because this is part of what's going to help you get to this end goal, whatever it is. If it's, you know, up leveling your business, if it's trying to increase confidence, if it's trying to eliminate the overthinking, you know, the emotional burnout, whatever it is, we want to get you there, but we have to interrupt this pattern that is on autopilot right now because unless If we don't, you're just going to keep getting the same results. And that is really frustrating. And that is the thing that I see makes people question their ability, their capability. And it has nothing to do with their ability. It's just they're, they're stuck in a pattern and they don't even realize it. So if someone is listening to this and they have recognized first and foremost that, yes, my trash can is full... And now they recognize that I need support and they're listening to this and they're really enjoying hearing you. Where can they find you? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking me that. So while my last name, Groose, it rhymes with Seuss, right? It's spelled differently. So if you go to my website, Heidi Groose, G-R-U-S-S, Dot com Or if you follow me on um, any of the social media handles, you always can find me by my name. You're, you're going to see a wealth of knowledge in any of those places. There's also a special gift for your listeners. I created a short 10-minute video that is jam-packed with knowledge around burnout because I really believe when people are burnt out, it's not because they're physically doing more. It's because emotionally they've depleted their emotional bandwidth. You know, I see people spend so much mental energy and deplete all of their emotions on really small problems. Mm -hmm. And then they've got nothing left when they have to deal with the big problems, you know? So I address that in this video. I give some very simple strategies to implement. And so you can find that on my website. Thank you. And guys, head over there. That will also be in the show notes along with everywhere you can find Heidi. And I like that you address burnout that way because I had someone say to me recently that it wasn't a matter of having enough time. Energy was their currency. Yeah. I see that for everyone in life, right? Like that's our real currency. It's not that, you know, oh, I don't have enough time in the day or this. It's that you don't have enough energy because like you said, you're sending it other places that aren't essential. Exactly. Exactly. So the last question I like to ask everyone is what is growth to you? Mm, Yeah. I mean, growth is life. 
I believe as human beings, it really is our calling to always be in a growth phase. I mean, just think about it. What you know today is nowhere near what you're going to know three months from now, right? So you make some expert decision today about, you know, in something in your life. And three months from now, you look back on that decision and, and you're like, gosh, you know, I, I can't believe it. If I had known, you know, then what I know now, holy moly, right? And that's the goal is that we're able to keep internalizing these experiences that we go through, our interactions with others, be self-reflective and self-aware and continue to grow. Thank you so much, Heidi. I enjoyed talking to you today and I know this is going to benefit the people listening and just thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I love Heidi's infectious energy. If you guys want to connect with her, all of her information that she discussed, as well as that freebie that she's offering will be in the show notes. Please subscribe and write just a phenomenal review for this podcast. You know, I'd appreciate it. And as always, be not afraid of growing slowly. Be afraid only of standing still. Have a blessed week. That's it for this episode of Growth Over Easy. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is for you to rate this show and leave a comment on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Also, make sure to link up with me at lilyrachels.com. I'm Lily Rachels across all social platforms. Please just share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Until next time, remember, easy is empty, growth is gold.